This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 90. Welcome to the podcast. Today I have a very special guest that I'm really excited about. He is the CEO of the Michigan Veterinary Medical Association and a great individual and a good friend of mine, yep. John Tremontana. I get it? Thank you for having me, Dr. Julie. It's such a pleasure <laughs> always to be with you, visit with you, and talk with you. One of my favorite people in the world of veterinary medicine. So thank Oh, you. I love that. Thank you so much. We have a mutual admiration for each other, I think. Well, I think we're so similar as people will probably find out in the It's like self-love, right? Right. <laughs> Kindred that doesn't say much about us, does it? Right. That's kind of so bad. <laughs> All right. So today, why don't you um, give a little background about yourself first to, so you can kind of introduce yourself to the audience and then we'll get into what we're going to talk about today. Sure. It's, uh, it's been a great almost 19 months here with the uh, MVMA. I started in March of 2019 as the CEO. Prior to that, I was the Director of Communications, PR, and Marketing for the Michigan Association of School Boards. Um, and then going back even further, I did some healthcare marketing at Sparrow Hospital in Lansing. I worked uh, as a Communications Director for a political party for the state of Michigan. Um, and then my degree in college and my true background is in broadcast journalism. So right when I came out of college, I worked for the Buffalo Bills as a website reporter and broadcast reporter on, on their website for the team. And then uh, I moved up to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan after graduating from Michigan State uh, in 2004 uh, for my first TV news job. And that was at uh, WLUC TV 6 up in Marquette. And I was the Iron Mountain Viewer reporter. And then I moved on to Lansing where I was the a weekend morning anchor for several years. And so my communications background has always been with me, even in my CEO role right now. I think it's such an important skill to have. And even my career has taken such a, you know, a different type of path at times. Uh, it's been very exciting and rewarding and I've learned a lot and met great people. And now I'm just thrilled to be working in MVMA with the staff here and then all of our great members too. It's just been a great experience. Well, and that reporting background is why you're such a good communicator and it's so easy for you to talk to people. And that's amazing. I, I like that because when you're in front of a group, you, you're very relaxed and you can just speak pretty much about anything, I think. And, and well, thank you. Years of training, right? And, and, <laughs> and long tuition bill, I think, is responsible for that. But, you know, I've been very fortunate to have such great friends in the industry and great mentors who just help with that. And, you know, I used to teach a class on public speaking and I would always go back. I would always start with a clip of Jerry Seinfeld's stand-up where people's number one fear is public speaking and their number two fear is death. And I would always play that <laughs> just blown away by that because he always, his punchline is that basically more people would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. And it's, it's true, right? It's such an uncomfortable place for us to be. And, and unless we do it, you know, uh, you know, religiously and, and, and a lot of the time and really get a lot of practice and a lot of experience, it can be very intimidating for people and, and it's something that people really just would avoid at all costs. Yeah, it absolutely is. So, so I admire you for being able to do that. Well, thank you. You know, <laughs> you, you as well, Dr. Julie, you know, it's just, it's, I we, get better at people. it. I, I go back and listen to some of my first podcasts and I cringe cause I was so <laughs> uptight and, you know, kind of robotic, but it's getting a little easier the more I do it. And my kids keep saying, Mom, you got to relax. Mom, just talk. You're a good talker. <laughs> 
So that's why I, I like, well, and I like doing interviews for that reason, you know, so, so I'm really excited to talk about what we're going to talk about. So I don't know if you have a starting point, but I think we're going to dive right into talking about um, DISC, which we've talked about before on the podcast with various people. And um, I myself had talked about it, but you have um, a lot of background in it and kind of a different take. Um, than we've talked about before. So what do we want to, how do we want to start this? Yeah, I think it's important for people to understand there, there's kind of this, maybe stigma is, is a good word for this, that, that DISC is just a, you know, a, a personality assessment. And it really, that's not what it is. Really, it's just how we communicate with people. And DISC is observable, you know, behavior that, that we embody when we're talking with people or when we're interacting with our colleagues or with our staff and really how we approach thinking and problem solving. And so it is a little bit nuanced compared to some of the other personality assessments that people might want to talk about. And one way that I, I think one reason I really believe in it is because I actually, it's worked for me personally. And when I got into this six years ago through a, a friend and colleague of mine at the Michigan Association of School Boards, I really learned how to become a better manager uh, a better supervisor, but a, a, a better colleague to people as well, just by looking at those differences and trying to figure out what makes people tick, how do they think, but how do I need to adjust a little bit to maximize their potential and maximize the relationship that I have with them. And we've always been taught since we were very, very young about the golden rule, right? It's always treat others the way that, you know, you want to be treated. But you know, there is a, a you know, a, a doctor who works in business right now. His name is Dr. Uh, Tony Alessandra, and he really has coined the phrase the platinum rule. And that's something that I think is really important that everyone subscribes to. And the platinum rule says that we should treat others the way that they want to be treated. Not how we want to be treated, but they. And I can tell you from personal experience, I want to be treated a little bit differently than maybe someone like you, or maybe someone on my staff, or maybe a veterinarian, or someone on my board, or or my wife, or my kids. And so it's really important to understand and figure out how people individually want to be treated and then kind of adapt your communication style based on that. And that's where you really have the breakthrough to learn more about each other, to really enhance that relationship and to really maximize its potential. And I think that's something that we tend to lose sight of. We, we kind of have tunnel vision sometimes in how we think we should treat people. And obviously there are, are, are minimums we should be treating people with, obviously with decency and respect and kindness, um, which sometimes gets lost you know, in, in today's culture. But I mean, I do think as long as we keep those things in mind and then take it to the next level about you know, what, what, how else do people want to be treated individually? And, and, and I think that's what's really important. And that's what DISC really helps you to do in the long run. And I think what we need to keep in mind in that kind of same vein is that part, a lot of these personality profiling tools are designed to help us learn about ourselves, but also once we learn about ourselves and learn about how other people prefer to be treated, like you say, it helps us adjust our behavior. So the first step is kind of learning about yourself, which we've talked about before, but then learning about reading other people in a way I guess I would call it reading, but just being aware of their personality styles so you can adjust your behavior to treat them the way they want to be treated in that platinum rule. So I think that's something we forget when we're doing these personality things is, is the part that we're, where we're learning about us and then how do you apply it to others? 
And that really is the first step, Julie, because that is something that's often lost on people. We think we know each other or ourselves so well, right? And you can take this assessment that usually takes about 10 to 15 minutes, and then you read, you know, a 30 to 40 page document on yourself. And you're like, how do they come up with this? And you're shocked at how accurate it is. And I have worked with so many groups over the years doing this, where some have said, this isn't me at all. And I've told them, well, hey, why don't you go home to your friend, a parent, a kid, your spouse, your partner, have them look at it and see what they think about it. And it's funny when I followed up with them, they're like, you know what? You're absolutely right. You know, I went home and I showed my husband and he said, this is me. And I've done the same thing to my wife. And I said, I don't know if I feel about this. She goes, this is absolutely you. But it's because we don't want to, we don't want to admit the bad stuff, you know, like we think we're perfect. And then it it brings up things like you're impatient or you're, you know, all the things that you're not good at. And you don't want to hear that. No, no, tune that out. Right. Yeah. Especially when it comes to ourselves, but you can really can't make this work until you really know and can identify with yourself and, and what works best for you. And that's when you really start to see some progress in in terms of building your relationships. And so that's where we always start with this assessment. When when I'm presenting with people or when I'm working with a group, we start with ourselves, you know, and I don't even tell them the results most of the time. I hold the results because I go through some descriptions and I try to get them to figure out where do you see yourself fitting into this spectrum? And one thing that's also important to remember is that even though there are these four, you know, behavioral styles, we all exemplify all of them. And at different points in our lives, some of them come more to the surface than others. Um, Maybe when we're stressed or maybe when we're happy or maybe when we're at work compared to when we're at home, we do manifest all of these characteristics. We just exemplify more than some more than others at various points in our life. And so there really is no right or wrong, good or bad, um, you know, type of, um, style in this whole thing. And I think that's really important for people to remember. And it's just kind of trying to figure out how to bridge the gaps because with some of them, they get along really, really well, right? They're peanut butter and jelly. Mm -hmm. And then some other ones, you know, it's, it's oil and water. And so how do we, when we in, you know, kind of come across those oil and water relationships in our lives or in the workplace, how do we make sure that we can move forward so we have a better mixture, a better blend, and we're not always kind of just separate and, and at each other? And, and that, can be, that can be difficult. Well, and I think of it sometimes as a preference. Like I have a preference for operating this way, and, but I can operate these other ways if I choose to. So it's getting that self-control and understanding yourself and then changing your style to adapt to other people. And it's really important in the workplace and then for veterinarians with the clients as well. You can use these techniques to communicate with clients better. Well, and, and particularly, you know, we're, we're homogenous beings, right? We like to be around people who are like us. I mean, that's what the, the point of associations, right? It's, it's getting people together with like-minded goals um, and, 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 you know, things that they want to accomplish moving forward and, and trying to get, you know, the safety and numbers approach, you know, working together for the greater good. And so we are just kind of pre-wired and predetermined to find people who are more like us because that's where we feel most comfortable. And before I got into this, when I was a manager, I probably would have hired people more similar to me, people who (laughs) thought the way that I did or people who approached problem solving the way that I did. And I can tell you that would have been a huge, huge mistake. And when I first started managing people, there were people on my team were different than I was. I couldn't really figure out why we couldn't connect or why we couldn't get each other. 
Um, and that was really difficult. And then once I started doing some of these disc workshops with people, we really kind of broke through that. And I figured out, okay, well, I have someone on my staff, even though I don't like to be in the weeds, I'm not a person who likes to live in every detail that drives me crazy personally. I also understand I need to have people like that on my team. Because if everybody around me thinks like me and only thinks macro and big picture and big ideas, if there's no one there to help ground you or execute or really figure out all the details that really makes that plan work, you're just going to be spinning in circles all day. And so it, it really goes into this larger discussion of, of diversity, which we'll get into later on too. But having a well-rounded group, and I'm very fortunate now at MVMA to have a staff who basically exemplify all of these traits. And that's really important because if I'm looking at something one way, I know maybe someone else on my staff is going to look at it a little differently. And ultimately, we're going to get a better solution because we've come at it from so many different angles rather than people just kind of all living in their bubble, thinking the same way, working the same way, because that's not how great ideas really come to be. Great ideas really come from the diversity of thought and experience and, and how people are really approaching things in a, in a different way. Yeah. And if you're involved in hiring a team and you can keep this in mind, it will help you create a team that has that diversity of personality to appeal to not only to get the job done and have those detailers and have those big picture thinkers, but also in, in the veterinary realm, if you're hiring veterinarians for a practice, is allowing for different personalities of doctors to appeal to the different personalities of clients that you have. Because there are clients that prefer someone that's very detailed or a client that prefers somebody that's very quick, quick paced and faster speaking. And in order to, to appeal to all your clients, if you can hire that way, hire some very detailed, slower paced doctors compared to faster paced, um, it will allow you to serve your clients better. Yeah, it's such a great tip too, because when you're conveying medical in information to a layman, you know, in essence, you, you want to make sure you're not losing anything in translation. And you could easily lose things in translation when you're having a very basic elementary type level conversation with someone, let alone when you introduce things that may be foreign to one party. And so being able to really blend those communication styles differently to, to reach a diverse client base, I think is just a, a great tip and probably something that people often don't think about. You know, you're, this is also, veterinary medicine is also a customer service, you know, profession too, where you're dealing with different types of people all day. And so it's really important to be able to just have that extra tool in your toolbox to talk to them in a way that they feel comforted, they feel heard, and, and in a way that um, really exudes empathy and understanding to people, because that's just so important when you're having a, a conversation with someone like that. Yeah, it absolutely is. So what kind of tips or what, I guess, go through what you, what you want to say about the different personality styles and how they relate to this communication piece? Sure. So, you know, the four letters, D, I, S, and C for DISC. And dominance really measures, it's the D factor, and it measures how we handle problems and challenges. Um, so that's really important. Do, do, do we stress out? Do we like to have details? Do we like to have a lot of information before? Can we go with our gut? What does that look like? Um, that kind of measures where you kind of fall on the D scale. In terms of I, that's the influencing factor, how you influence people in context. How do you work with people? Can you get people to come around to your way of thinking? Do you like group work? Do you hate it? That type of thing measures your I factor. The S factor or steadiness, also people refer to it as status quo. 
it's how you handle change and pace yourself. The S's kind of don't really want to be all over the place and scatterbrained. They like the status quo. They like steady. They like predictability. So that's important to remember. And then finally, the C or the compliance is how we handle rules and procedures set by others, not set by us. So how do we follow rules? You know, do we think that they're there to be bent? They're there to be broken. They're there to be followed to the letter. Um, that's really important too in, in how we approach things. And so when you see somebody who is a high D, for instance, we'll go through all of these. These are someone, these are people who can be a little impatient. Sometimes people call them bossy, but they are the people who are willing to take charge because they are all about solving the problem as quickly as possible and moving on to something else. When you work with someone who is an I, they're kind of all about the experience and what is it like? Are they enjoying themselves while they're doing their work? They're the people who are going to come and have a personal conversation with you. They're going to show that they care and, and ask about your family and, and delve into your personal life a little bit because they want to get to know you on a much more than just a professional basis. The S folks are the ones who are always there to help. They're the ones to volunteer, raise their hand when there's a problem, they'll take it on. Um, they are kind of the go along to get along people and just really polite and nice to work with. And they actually make up 69% of the population. So most people out there are S's. D's are about 3% of the population. I's are 11. And then finally the C's, I'm sure some of you who are doing math at home, if you don't <laughs> 17%, you are a C. So Which you isn't me, I'm not doing the math. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And so C's are 17%, but they are very detail oriented people. Um, they tend to um, flock to professions that have more details, uh, whether you're an attorney, a doctor, a CPA, uh, an engineer, those types of people tend to be C's more than anything else because they really do like the detail work. They like being able to analyze, they like being able to take in as much information as possible and then make a reasonable conclusion based on that. Where, you know, conversely on the other end of the spectrum, the D's, they want some information, but they don't need all the data to make a decision. They can be more go with your gut type of people and let's just figure it out and, and move along. And so there are room, there's room for all of these people, right? And you really need to have all of these people because if you had, you know, I, I, I use a video in my presentations and the guy in the video says, if, if there were more than 3% of the world were Ds, we'd be at war all the time because everybody is kind of fighting for what they want, right? Which would be really tough. You know, if we had, everyone was a C, we might not get anything done in a timely manner, right? And, and the same way with I's because we're chatting or maybe wasting time. And then the S's are just yes people a lot of the time. So, you know, no one's going to push back on you for the most part. And so it really is important to make sure in, in veterinary medicine in particular, I think, when you're working with some smaller or even larger teams to have such a well-rounded team because these all balance each other very nicely in ways that it's almost like a, a checks and balances type system for the workplace. I mean, somebody will raise a point hey, you know, that's great, you know, Mr. D who thought about this, but here I am, Mr. C, and I don't think you thought about this factor or this data point. And then you're like, oh yeah, I didn't. Let's go back and figure that out. Or the eyes who can really help um, to raise morale in an office sometimes when things seem tough or when people seem tired and I will come in with an optimistic personality and, and help to, you know, raise all the, all, you know, a, a rising tide raising all boats, right, in, in, in there. And and helping to make sure that people are, are happier and, and keep going. Same with the S's who are, who are cheerleaders and people, people and will help you get into things and do things. And so there's a place for everything. And I think even as people listen to this, they'll understand, oh yeah, you know, I do all of these things in, in different times. Um, and some people are different at work than they are at home. And if you are, you wanna be careful about that. 
you really don't want to be in a profession that is stretching your limits too much because that's where we really get stressed and that's where we tend to get tired and not really uh, feel rewarded and fulfilled at work. We want to be able to find professions that, that closely match what our natural style is and so we're not adapting too much. And that's you know, really important to understand too. People need to feel welcomed and comfortable within their own skin and comfortable in a workplace to be able to speak up and have these conversations. Because if not, it's probably not a good fit for them. Same thing if you're a D, you don't wanna dominate so much over your staff where people feel intimidated or uncomfortable challenging you. That's not a good place to be either. And so trying to find harmony and balance between all of these can be difficult. But it's also really important to understand how the other person approaches problem solving, how the other person thinks and communicates. So you can start to somewhat tweak how you respond to them and, and maximize that relationship as we talked about earlier. Well, and I think it, it has to also be somewhat intentional. You can intentionally Absolutely. hire different personalities for different parts of your hospital because I think in veterinary medicine, um, and you probably noticed this being the CEO now of all these veterinarians, is a lot of them uh, are the steadiness types, especially the ones that are not the veterinarians, so the ones on the ground doing the real work. And if you're not aware of that and you're an owner or a leader in a practice and you're high D or high I, you'll really run over your team. So being intentional about mixing the styles and also learning about them so you can treat them appropriately, I think is really important. Because I, I personally, because I'm a DNI, I had receptionists who were terrified of me when they first start working because they were high <laughs> S and they, they had no understanding of my personality. And they thought because I was D and I, that I was really mean and nasty. And I didn't really think of that of myself, you know? And so understanding wh what they might be thinking about me just because of my personality and then being able to soften it or explain to them, you know, this is how I operate under stress. So if you see this, it just means I'm stressed. It doesn't mean I'm angry at you particularly, you know, and, and that understanding is so important. And I think that's why these workshops are so important for some of these smaller practices, because we don't know what we don't know, right? And so that was a problem for me six, seven years ago when I was managing people. And, you know, me, like you, very similarly, kind of more on the high I and high D, you know, spectrum of this, where I had some staff who were, who were C's and they wanted to slow down and I wanted to speed up. And I'm kind of thinking, this person isn't processing information quickly enough. Like they need to get going. And that's What's just, wrong with them? What's wrong oh, with them? Right, right. That's Why aren't they faster? Think, right? right. We think of all these that's different what we things. Think. What's wrong with this person? Right. And it frustrates people like us, right? Who become impatient when we're stressed. And I think that's just my age-old journalism training is being on a deadline and having to do things so quickly all the time that I really haven't deprogrammed myself from that. And so as I've gotten out of broadcast news and journalism, I really had to tell myself to slow down a little bit. And so it's good for me to surround myself with S's and C's because they do tell me, hey, pump the brakes here. We're going a little too fast. Take a breath. Yeah, take yeah. a deep breath. You know, and in journalism, it's so demanding. I'm sure, you know, veterinary medicine, probably the same way. Sometimes you just have to figure out how can I get things done? How am I going to get through these appointments during the day? You know, and there's just this pressure that builds on you that you feel like you have to push forward no matter what. And sometimes that's not always the right course of action. And so to have those people helping you slow down and understand those flaws within ourselves sometimes uh, is really important to have. Because like you said, I mean, as, as D's and I's, we just like to get things done, right? Let's, let's just get this done and move on. Kind of taskmasters more than anything else where 
you know, the other folks in, in who are S's and C's might take a little longer and, and more methodical approach to it to make sure that it's done as efficiently and as and in the best way possible. And so the real challenge is trying to figure out how you how you marry those two conflicting um, thought processes and, and approaches to problem solving, because that's when things can get a little complicated in a workplace is this, you know, it's give and take all the time. And uh, we need to figure out how to slow down, look at things a little more holistically and, and communicate better with each other. So everybody feels valued um, in the problem solving process. Well, and if you, you can learn, use it to your advantage, because if you have someone that's very detailed and you're not, and you understand that, then you can give the detail work to that person who is then very Absolutely. happy. I have someone in my practice that's so detailed. Um, she used to drive me crazy before I learned about this because, <laughs> because she is so detailed. But once I figured this out, it's like, oh, I need her because I don't like the detail. I don't enjoy it. So if I have something that's very, very detailed and, and it could be a something, something as simple as putting something together, like a chair we buy or something. And right, right. I always give it to her because she's amazing and she loves it. So I'm just like, eh, I don't want to read any directions. Give her that and any maintenance that needs to be done on machinery and anything that requires detail. And, and once you learn about all these styles, you can use it to your advantage and run a way better team and make everyone happier in the process. Cause I'm happy if I don't have to read the directions and she's happy that she does. Yeah. And I think that that's, what's so important, Julie. And I think back to, you know, we just released our new magazine um, for fall right now, and it's all about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And you wrote such a great article for us about recognizing your team's diversity that you already have. Right. And that's something that we tend to overlook. And this is a key example of that. Now I know that when I come in with my staff and we're kind of all around this disc spectrum, it helps me be a better strategic thinker knowing, okay, who can I give this project to? Who can handle this? Or who can I put on a team together to make sure we're really maximizing our potential here? And that's really what's most important is when you start looking around for things, and more importantly, when we start listening to people and listening to each other and learning from each other, we can start to see the true value that people really bring to their team. And there's a big portion in these assessments when you get the results there's a big section called value to the team. And they list about a dozen to two dozen ways that you are valuable to your team. And for, uh, for managers and for supervisors and for people who are running practices, that's really a valuable portion of this because you start to see how you can use people appropriately. I mean, it's just like coaching a, a team in sports, right? I mean, if you've got someone who's you know 350 pounds and six foot six that person's probably not playing quarterback on a football team right and so you want to get them in a position to succeed and that's ultimately what we're trying to do as managers as supervisors and as leaders is putting people in position to exceed to succeed but also to learn and grow and if we're setting up people for failure if i take someone who's a very high i and d on my staff and i throw them into a project that's very detail oriented am i setting them up for failure how are they supposed to do that? And even if they come out successfully and, and, and give me a detailed report that I may want from them, it may be, be a very stressful process for them to get there. And so when we start to figure out, and I'm not talking about, you know, putting people into silos, that's, that's not what this is about, but it's about putting people in a position to succeed as best they can and, and really use what they're good at and what their value is to the team to make the organization as a whole better. And that's what this is about, is more of a systems thinking leadership approach, knowing that we have all of these different types of people within our system, within our group, who can play a different role 
and can help us move forward. Um, so we're all kind of rowing in the same direction and, and, and doing things in a way um, that is effective, worthy of our time, and ultimately is better for um, either the clients or the members or the customers we're serving. So if you're the leader of a team and you don't, you haven't been through the disc profiling, the person, any of the personality um, or the relational type of things that we're talking about, how do you think you would advise somebody to start? Like, let's say you're a new leader, you've got a team of people, they're all over the place, you're not really sure what to do with them, you're not really sure even about yourself. How would you recommend somebody kind of get started down this road? Obviously, I think the workshop is the best one. I mean, I'm biased in that just because, you know, I, I do it because I believe in it, right? And I, and I see that it makes a difference. But I mean, if you can't do a workshop, or even if you want to improve with people in your personal life, just a simple Google search, or even go to YouTube. There are a lot of videos out there on disc that will give you kind of a peek behind the curtain of how people think. And there's a great video that I use on YouTube um, that sets up an elevator scenario, right? That um, is really kind of indicative of what this process means. And a D is a person who's sitting there impatient. They're pushing the button multiple times, wanting to get that elevator there faster, right? Even though they can't control it, there's something in their mind that tells them, no, maybe I can. If I just push this button one more time, it'll come. That makes me laugh because that's what I do on our copy machine at work. I have, to, I have to scan report cards for all my clients. So I'll walk up to it. I'll press the button. It won't immediately suck the paper in. And so I press it again, press it again, press it again right. until it, it finally sucks the paper in. But if I just pressed it once, it probably would work. But I'm like, right. But we think, oh, that's that victory. You know, I pressed it five times. So I saved, you know, <laughs> 10 seconds in my day by doing that. Right. Sorry about that. It just made me laugh. Right. And we all know those people. And the eyes are the people who once they're in the elevator, they get chatty. Hey, how you doing? You know, where are you going? What are you up to? How's your day? And we know those people too. And, and you and I can be those people very sure. much. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, the S's are the really congenial people who are like, oh, you know, this is crowded. I'll take the stairs. Take my place in the elevator. Please, you know, don't worry about it. And then finally, the C's get in and they're the ones who are looking around, they're calculating body weight, making sure that it's safe. <laughs> they're looking to see when the inspection was last done on the elevator to make sure that it's okay. They're not jamming everyone in that they can get in like I would. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and so, you know, all these people think differently. And at times we have probably been all of those people, right? Sure. And I, that's what's really important to, to remember is that we're not just one of those people. We at times have been various forms of those people in the elevator. But the elevator is such a good example of kind of these um, behavioral traits in action um, and, and how we interact with people in our everyday lives and how some of the things that we most exemplify can come bubbling to the surface. And so even if you don't do a workshop or you don't take an assessment or you don't do a ton of research on what this project is, you can go and find things online and figure out enough to help you decode a little better and then it's all about trying to figure out how do I best communicate with that person? And knowing that, you know, certain people like to be communicated in a certain way, we can adapt slightly our behavioral styles. And I'm not saying we should all be chameleons and completely change who we are too. I mean, there is a balance to this. We still have to be true to ourselves, but also need to be respectful enough to treat people the way that they want to be treated. And that's really important. So that's how I would get started is really just start online or reach out to somebody who may be familiar with something like this. I'm happy to answer questions. I know you can answer some questions and anybody else. I mean, there are all so many resources out there now, especially free resources online that can really help you become a stronger, more effective leader 
by putting some of these practices into motion. Do you have a specific example um, kind of for the listeners to how you would adapt to a certain personality being, you know, let's say you're a high D and an I like we are adapting to somebody that's a more of an S and a C personality. Do you have like an example from your own workplace or a specific example of how they could read someone in order to yeah, figure out? Absolutely. And I think that's what I struggled with early on in my career when I was managing people and not knowing enough about this process is that I would just go in and talk from my perspective. And so I would go in and maybe I'd chat. And so an S or C might think I'm wasting their time by chatting. And then I would also just kind of give them very high level stuff because I am more of a person who thinks for the most part, the ends justify the means, right? Let's get to the desired result. The process isn't important to someone like me. It doesn't mean it's not important. It's very important to some people, but I'm okay if you take tangents and go your way where you feel comfortable as long as we can get to our desired result. I think. And you don't really care how they get there and you don't, don't want to hear about it. <laughs> I don't, I want to leave it up to them, right? It's, it's a right. choose your own adventure book as far as I'm concerned, you know, get <laughs> however you want to get to the end, whatever makes you feel comfortable, whatever process works for you. For some people, it's very detailed for other people. It might be cutting corners. I, you know, I don't, I'm not sitting here and saying being irresponsible about it, but you know, get a process that you feel comfortable working in. And so that was kind of my approach at the beginning when I go into people who particularly were high C's and I would just say, okay, here's the project. And I, you know, give a one or two sentence description and that would be it. And so when I started thinking from a C perspective, that's terrifying. They have no idea. They don't know where to find any data or information. They don't exactly know what I want. All they know is like, I want them to complete this project, but they don't know anything else. And so that is very scary and very intimidating for someone who is a very high C because they want to make sure they don't disappoint you and they want to make sure that they do the best work because they take a lot of pride in their work. And so what I learned after this process was when I would go into the office of, of someone on my staff who was a high C, I needed to be very detailed and I needed to make sure that I was available for any questions they may have, not just in that initial conversation, because I know that once they think on it for a few hours or a few days, they're gonna have several more conversations. So when they come into my office the following day or the following week with a question, I can't sit there and like, I already told you what to do, just go make it happen, right? Because that doesn't work. And I know that even if I do that, I'm ultimately causing myself more stress and wasting more of my time if I don't do it right the first time, right? We've all taught that at sometimes, hey, if you do it right the first time, you won't have to do it again. Right. And that's kind of the approach that I changed even though it was really awkward and uncomfortable for me the first time, because now I'm in a position where I really have to have all my information together and be really clear on my objective objectives, which means I have to take time to think it through in a way that maybe I wouldn't do before, or maybe I didn't want to do before. Right. It's uncomfortable for you because it's not your natural tendency. But I think we all need to be willing to get out of our comfort zone and be a little uncomfortable in order to grow and, and to get better at what we do. And once I kind of figured that out, and once my staff kind of figured out to come in and not waste a lot of my time if they can and not give me a lot of details I don't need to know about, um, it worked in a relationship really, really well. You know, I don't need to know if, if, for instance, someone is sending out an email. I don't need to know every analytic about that email. Don't, don't give me all of the analytics. I trust that you're doing your job. And that um, is ultimately where we want to be. We want to be able to trust people to do their jobs the way that they think is the best way to do them. And this helps me let go of some of that um, control. And, and even in times when I'm impatient or stressed, I have to understand I'm going to let them do it. 
right? And, and there are times where as, as these, we want to take over a project, right? Because we see, oh, we're wasting time. Or this it's too long. Just do it myself and I'd be done with this. But it doesn't do anybody good. And it ultimately doesn't get you to a goal of creating an environment with a systems thinking approach where everyone knows their role, but understands the bigger picture and how they fit into it. And so in order for that to be successful, we have to learn as, as D's and I's to relinquish control sometimes. And that is an uncomfortable place for us to be in. And so it's, it's really understanding how best to get the most out of people. And that's kind of where you have to adapt a little bit. And I knew with my C's, if I wanted to maximize what I was getting from them, I needed to give them a lot of information on the front end rather than kind of you know, go through all of it continuously throughout the process of that project. And then a lot of space as well. They, they need to have time, you know, in our, in our, in the fast paced side of the disc, we want everything done really quickly, but when the detail comes in, it might take a little bit longer and to learn, just learn that patience that you're going to have to have for certain people. I, I do that a lot with clients in the exam room. If I have a really high C client and they come in and they want to tell me every single detail of what's gone on with that pat in the last 24 hours. And I already kind of know what's wrong. So I just want to skip to the answer. It's, it yeah. takes a lot of strength and basically just patience for me to just listen to the whole story and, you know, not interrupt and not stop them because they need to get all that detail out. And that, it, that's a learned skill. It, it's something that you have to work on. And we continuously work on it, right? You know, exactly. like my yeah. coach in high school always said to me, when you're through improving, you're through, which to me, you know, basically says perfection is never really attained. And so we're always looking for ways to improve or ways to grow or ways to be better. And so these things are things that I struggle with every day, sure. you know, I have to check myself to not be impatient or not be too bossy or not be too demanding. I have to be more realistic with time. Um, I have to be more realistic with abilities and capabilities of people. I have to be realistic in terms of data gathering and collection, because sometimes I'm just thinking, oh, I gave them assignment. I should check in with them tomorrow. And that's not fair, right? You know, it's, we're, it would be great if we could do it that way, but it's not fair. And again, that's setting up people for failure. So I really need to make sure, you know, my staff feels very comfortable, feels like they understand what's going on, feels that we've communicated really well and really effectively and because that is how our best work gets done here. And also as leaders, you become more strategic in how you assign projects, right? If you need something done quickly, you may not assign that to your IC. You might assign that to your D or to your I. And if it's not a detailed project, you have to pick right. the project. Want, this one doesn't require a lot of detail. I'm going to give it to a D or an I. If it requires a lot of detail, I'm going to give it to the Cs. If it requires a lot of empathy and compassion, I'm going to give that to an S. You know, that, so that kind of thinking and it makes you so much better in your team and your leadership. Yeah, and sometimes we don't understand that, right? You know, we just think, okay, or sometimes we have a tendency to overwork who we perceive to be our better or best employees, right? And there's kind of this um, ethos of really success is punished, and that's not fair either. And so how do we look as, as leaders, as managers, as supervisors, how we find the balance? How do we you know, put people in roles like we talked about earlier, where they will succeed, where they will flourish, and ultimately where they'll be happy. Because when you, when you have really good employees, and we're very fortunate at MVMA to have such a strong staff right now, I don't want to lose these guys, right? And so I have to be very cognizant and always thinking about, am I overworking? them? Am I asking too much? Am I being unrealistic with expectations? And from a D perspective, we tend to do that quite a bit. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I have to really temper myself a little bit and stay grounded and think about what's realistic, what's possible, and how can I keep these guys, you know, working, focused, but ultimately happy because I want them to stay here and I want them to continue to do good work for this organization and for our members. Right. And I think if you're on the other end, if you're working for somebody that's very high D or very high I, just understanding that the way they operate is not, per, it's not personal. Like if they're being too demanding or they're being impatient, right. you know, I, I find that is something that if people can wrap their heads around that helps a lot too. Cause I've worked for people that were very demanding and high D and, and it, it wears on you. But if you, if you understand that that's not the intention and that's not, it's, it's part of their personality, just like your personality is yours, that you, if you have a little bit more understanding, then you can be a little bit more tolerant. Because we see that with clients. They come in and they want this and they want it fast and they, they're super demanding. Right. And rather than get angry about that, just understanding it, that where they're coming from and how they're operating helps you to deal with it and not take it personally. Yeah, and I don't think all of us do enough of that right now. And I'm just talking about society as a whole, right? So whether it's politics or whether whatever else, we're all kind of like are around our echo chambers, right? We surround ourselves with with people who are similar to us. We don't listen to different perspectives well enough. We don't listen to different ideas. We don't listen to how things affect people. I mean, everything that's going on with racial injustice in the country right now, you know, from people who have experienced white privilege, can we sit and ask ourselves, are we, are we listening to? Are we trying to understand their perspectives? And this is something that is in our lives every single day. And not just in terms of racial diversity, but people we deal with all the time come from different walks of life and experiences. And um, we all have our own biases. And so how do we try to put those aside, work toward combating them somehow, and try to figure out and understand what makes other people tick or how they view something? Because odds are it, it isn't very similar how we think about things and how we and that's okay. I think that's and where we okay. lose it. It's like, we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to think differently. You know, just being, I think that, I think the whole diversity initiative that we were kind of doing this, this um, quarter with the MVMA in the newsletter and trying to create that open dialogue around this whole diversity thing um, just understanding that it, it's, that's normal. Like every human being is different. It's, it's an individual um, thing and not a collective thing. And how do we, how do we balance that with this, this talk of everybody having their own biases and, and trying to reconcile that. And DISC is really a microcosm for that bigger conversation, right? Because we yeah. are so different in ways that maybe we aren't observing or we're just kind of plowing through or doing our own thing and not really paying attention to some of these things. So even if we notice one of our staff members is really stressed at work, we as leaders need to ask ourselves, why? You know, have I contributed to this? What can I do? Have a conversation with that person. Are you overworked? Do you feel that this isn't the right fit for you? Or did your skill set not match up or am I giving you too much work or work that isn't appropriate for you? Whatever it may be, start a dialogue, start a conversation, figure it out and create an environment. This is the most important thing. Create an environment where it's safe for people to speak up and talk to you. Because like you alluded to earlier, Julie, if, if you're a very big personality that comes with a D or an I, you could sometimes be an, an intimidating person to talk to. Mm-hmm. And some people you know, might consider themselves a little meek and they're not meek. You know, if you're an S or a C, you're just collecting your thoughts before you find a way to express them. And so 
I, I have always kind of lived by this motto too, where do not mix, ex, you know, mistake my kindness for weakness, which I think is really important because particularly with an S where people are so kind and so accommodating, they can sometimes be bulldozed over. And that is not an effective way in a workplace to get things done. And so we really need to create an environment of trust, of honesty, of open communication and transparency so people feel safe coming forward, so they feel safe talking about their ideas, their opinions, their values, um, because that's where we'll ultimately succeed is once we start listening to everybody and incorporating all of those ideas and experiences. Yeah, so if, you, if you're a leader, how would you recommend just starting out with this? Um, would you recommend having like a meeting and just saying what you just said? Um, that, you know, we need to start to talk, we need to start to be more open. If you have an environment in your practice that's unhealthy in this regard. Yeah, I think so. I think just having, starting a dialogue is the hardest part, right? And so maybe it's, hey, let's all go to lunch today when we close the clinic, or let's maybe grab a quick drink after work, or whatever it is, and let's just have a very, you know, open conversation. And sometimes I think it's better to get out of the office, get out of the work environment, out of the clinic, because sometimes I feel when you're in there, people still feel kind of like these walls of intimidation and they have a certain way they have to act, behave, or think. And so you want to get people in a place that ultimately is very comfortable to them. You know, sometimes, you know, I'll take my staff out on just a team building activity. We'll take a day or two a year and just go do something fun where they can just be themselves. And that's really where we have the most comfortable and honest conversations about things throughout. And, you know, you have to be willing as a leader and a manager to do some 360 evaluations too. You need the opportunity for people to talk to you about where you can grow and improve because they're the ones who are seeing you every day. You know, not for me, my board, they don't see me every day or how I interact with my staff. So even though I really value their opinion and feedback for me as a leader and as a CEO of this organization, I also really value the feedback of my staff because they see me every day. How can I improve? How can I do this better? How can I ultimately make us succeed more? And just letting them know, hey, let's have a conversation. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a little vulnerable with you. And I'm gonna tell you first, here are some of my fears at work right now. And here are some of my insecurities or things that I question about myself. And when you open up that door and become a little vulnerable and, and take that first step, people are so much more likely to kind of join you in that journey. Um, nobody really wants to be the first person to speak up or to say something or to vent or to yell or say, I've had it with this. I mean, everybody wants to maintain a form of professionalism and, and comfortability around their, uh, their coworkers. And so I think if you can take the first step to get people offsite, have a conversation, you be vulnerable first. Talk about some of your insecurities. Talk about some of the things that you struggle with every day. Talk about some of the areas where you want to improve. I think people will be surprised in how that conversation starts to snowball and you can really get to the crux of some of the issues that are going on in the workplace. And I think that'll start to even out some of the hierarchy too, because I think sometimes in, in organizations, in veterinary hospitals, there's this, you know, well, you're the boss and the manager and the veterinarians, and there's these layerings, you know, you work in the kennel or you're a receptionist. And I really think if we can break that all down, so everybody's just people, that that goes so much further to getting those dialogues going. Yeah, absolutely. And I tell my staff that all the time. Look, I'm one of six people here. It's not me and five others. I mean, we all need to pull our weight in all certain ways. And that's the only thing that, that keeps things going, you know, as a, as a well-oiled machine, so to speak. And so I think that's important, even in veterinary medicine, where you start to see these 
silos too with certain people, or maybe you have your doctors in one, your techs in another, your office staff in another, and you know they try to stick with each other and they don't you know really talk as much as they should or socialize as much as they should. And I think it's really important for people to break down some of those silos and break down some of those barriers in the office um, because we do need to figure out not only what our role is, but we need to understand the roles of others and how they contribute to the systems thinking approach and to the big picture. When we start to understand those things, we start to work more as a team. We start to think more as a unit. And that's really important um, to make sure when you're doing a job that in veterinary medicine is, is so important. I mean, you guys are literally saving lives every day, right? That's not what we're doing here at MVMA. We're doing the best we can, but we don't have the pressure that a lot of veterinarians and clinics and techs and office staff do. And so, especially when you're working in a very fast-paced, high-pressure environment, you need to understand how people think, what makes them tick, and how um, you guys can all work together. Because especially if you get into an emergency situation, you need to be able to think and act very quickly, and you need to be able to count on that person. And I tell people all the time, I really learned that when I was in broadcast news, because if I was doing a live shot as an anchor reporter out in the field somewhere, have to be able to trust that other people are going to be there for you. I have to be able to trust um, the director is going to put me on TV at the right time in, in, in the uh, newsroom. I have to trust that the audio operator is going to have my mic on and off at the right time, or that the live shot operator is going to cue me, the camera operator cue me at the right time. There are so many moving parts in everything that we do, and everybody has a very crucial and important role to play. And once we start understanding those roles and appreciating those roles, we can start to become more effective and more successful in our everyday jobs. That sounds great. <laughs> I love it, because <laughs> that's what it's all about, right? Yeah, you got to be able to trust people. I've seen those news broadcasts where the guys like say something they shouldn't have said or they think they're off camera and they're on. And <laughs> My wife did that like 15 years ago when we first started out and I was watching a live shot through like a back end website and she was on air during a murder trial. It was a big deal. And she was like, blah, 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 blah. Just practicing, but she was on air. Oh, no. you know? so there's just <laughs> these miscues happen all the time. I mean, you can YouTube reporter fails. It happens all the time. But sure. you have to be able to understand first of all hot mic you have to understand you know the severity of situations too and how we should act appropriately and and more importantly you know you got to be able to count on each other and if somebody makes a mistake you got to be able to roll with it because sometimes yeah. if not everything can can get away from you pretty quickly trust your team and when something bad happens forgive your team and forgive yes. yourself you we know. all make mistakes. If we're not making mistakes, we're not doing it right. Right, exactly. Failing. Right. Fail forward. To fail. Yeah. Right, right. How many times did Edison fail before he got the light bulb, right? doesn't matter. He got the result he wanted. Failing is okay. And yeah. you, you learn from that failure. And that's another thing as, as a manager, supervisor, or leader, you have to be willing to accept people's failures when they try. It can't just be like this, you know, no, what are you doing? Yelling at people doesn't help. You know, trying to coach them maybe helps. But you want to encourage that innovation approach and, and trying to get people to learn from failures and to be okay with failing because we're never going to get better and, until we fail. I mean, best practices don't become best practices until they've been put in place and researched and everything else. And so you need to figure out that it's okay to fail, that it's okay to try, it's okay to fall short sometimes, um, but you should be able to do it in a way that's safe and non-judgmental. And that's what's really important. And that's an important lesson to teach yourself is try not to be judgmental. Right. Coming from a person that has a tendency to jump to conclusions. Same. So it is, it's a tough, it's a tough thing. It's, it's, yeah. 
realizing that we're not perfect. That's part of the deal. Well, that's the first part. I tell my staff too, perfect is the enemy of done, right? I mean, it's nice to be able to strive for things, but you know, sometimes we just look at things and labor over things for so long that we just have this inability to just let go. And sometimes we have to be able to let go and move on for the sake of the group, for the sake of the whole, for the sake of your your client and your patients. And um, that's really, really difficult. Well, that's part of that fear of failure, right? That's right. you you don't want to let it go because it's not perfect. You're fearing that failure. Like if I don't get it perfect, but then you're failing ahead of time because you're not getting it done. So that's right. the way I try to think about it. If I if I spend too much time trying to be perfect, it's not going to get done. So I'm a, I'm afraid of failing, but I'm failing by not getting it done. You know, yeah, so we tend to you know of, not switch courses you know quickly enough either sometimes because right? we. Might have time or money invested in a certain project and even though all the signs are telling us this isn't working mm-hmm. we continue to go down that path and we don't do a good enough job listening to that instinct or listening to our people who are who are saying that too and so like you said you know keep your eyes open your ears open i think are really important because we can learn so much from each other just because you're in charge of an organization does not mean you're the smartest person there it also doesn't mean that you have all the answers and you have to be willing in my opinion an effective and a true leader is someone who can admit they don't have all the answers and looks to their team for help and looks for you know more teamwork and and collaboration and cohesiveness within a unit because that's when things are really at the best. That's great. Sounds good. So is that is there anything else we need to say about this subject? I think no, we I mean, it I think pretty well. Is, Was there something we missed that you wanted to talk about? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think it's just it's. It's exciting and it, it really does work. It is not something where you just, let's look at this personality test and move on. You know, it's something where you have to put these practices into action. In and years, like I've been studying it for years. So true, so and true. I'm still I'm learning. I am nowhere near a finished product. I have a right. lot of polishing still to do, I can that's tell why you. We, that's why we do this podcast. That's what it's all yeah. about, is, is learning about ourselves and becoming better and healthier. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think this is really important and is, and it was, is behind some of the things that we want to do at MVMA when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And as you mentioned earlier, we're taking on a, a big DEI project because it's the right thing to do. First and foremost, right. it's the right thing to do. We need to make sure that all of our members are feeling valued, all of our members feel included, that we're representing veterinary medicine appropriately. And so we're going to be doing a really in-depth survey this fall. We're going to be putting together a DEI committee here because this is really important work. And it's something that the veterinary community should embrace too. I mean, not having a lot of racial diversity in it is is one thing, but there are other aspects of diversity within the veterinary community that can be embraced and worked on right now. And I I think that's really important. And we've hired two really great consultants, uh, Dr. Debbie Turner-Bell, who is a veterinarian, a former Miss America, a former news anchor. And so from her journalism, journalism background, like she and I have connected really well. She's great. And Dr. Jean Porter King, who runs a consulting firm out of Chicago, the two of them have so much experience with this in this area, not only working with DE&I initiatives, but also with women's leadership and so many other things that I think is just going to help make our organization stronger and have it continually evolve, evolve into the future. Because it's just, it, it's the right thing to do, but it's, it's what we should be doing. And the fact that not everyone is doing this right now, I think we all kind of could use a little bit of a pinch or a wake up call. You know, why aren't we thinking this way? Why aren't we thinking more holistically? Why aren't we maximizing the value that this diverse profession offers right now? And so that's what we're gonna make sure we're, we're doing moving forward. And 
I think that's why I believe in DISC so thoroughly um, and so absolutely, um, because I, I recognize the benefits in action. Once you start to see how things can change in an environment, and once you see how things can improve and how people do feel more valued and do feel more like part of the team, um, that's really what we're striving for. Well, I really appreciate all the things you're doing at MVMA. I appreciate you going through all of this on this podcast. I hope we can do it again. I'd like to come up with some other subjects that we could talk about because I, I enjoy talking to you so much. And I think you have a lot in this brilliant brain that can help us. And I'm, I'm glad that you entered the veterinary community. Well, I'm really happy to be here. Julie, it's always a great pleasure to talk to you. I mean, you and I, even if we're sitting in an exhibit booth at MVC, we can talk for hours. <laughs> I know. We're like, we're like uh, siblings from another mother or something. Right? It's, it's very strange, but. <laughs> yeah, it's good to have good friends and good people you respect. So hopefully people out there have enjoyed this conversation and I hope we can do it again. And if anybody um, wants to look into this more, are they okay to email you or look yeah, you up absolutely. on LinkedIn or whatever? Whatever, call us at MVMA. My email is just my last name, which is T-R-A-M-O-N-T-A-N-A at mishvma.org. So T-R-A Montana, to make it a little easier to remember, at M-I-C-H-V-M-A.org. And, you know, we're happy to even just have a conversation. You don't need to book a workshop. We'll just talk you through. I can send you some worksheets that I think would be valuable for you. Um, just because I, I want people to succeed. I want people to understand uh, kind of the importance of embracing all of these differences that we, we share in our workplaces. All right. Well, this has been really great. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Julie. All right. Thanks for being on the podcast. Sure thing. And if you like what you're hearing on the podcast, go to iTunes and give us a five-star review. So everybody have a great week and enjoy this DISC discussion. I hope it's been great for you. It's been great for us. Bye, John. Bye, Julie.